0: Hello and welcome to this latest podcast from the Herbert Smith Freehills pensions team. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm delighted uh, to be joined today by John Forsyth, who's a partner and actuary at LCP, and he's here today to discuss with me the uh, contents of the draft occupational pension schemes, funding and investment strategy regulations 2023. Um, government has recently published the draft regulations for consultation and it's been causing a bit of a stir within the industry. So it's great to have John here with us today to discuss uh, the potential implications of the draft regulation. So, John, thanks for joining me. No, thanks very much for having me, Tim. I'm delighted to be here. Great. So, John, for those um, perhaps people who aren't as familiar uh, with the regulations as, uh, as perhaps you and I are, could you just briefly outline... Kind of what the key elements of the the proposals are. Yeah, very happy to.
1: Um, so I suppose at the at the heart of the proposals, um, and, and one thing that's been, as you say, getting a lot of of airtime in the industry, is a requirement that all pension schemes, all DB occupational schemes, by the time that they are what's called significantly mature, um, need to have reached a, a low risk state and low dependency on their their sponsor and that's um defining the regulations and it covers both the investment strategy side but also the way that they fund um, as well and as i say that is kind of a requirement for all schemes to do so i think you know industry had previously been told via tpr there's this kind of twin track fast track and bespoke regime possibly there'll be more flexibility for certain schemes who want to take a more bespoke approach um, the draft regulations very much don't don't seem to have that flexibility so once you get to that Point of significant maturity, you you basically are required to have a low-risk investment and funding approach, um, which which, as we'll probably come on to, we think uh, has some potential unintended negative consequences for the schemes. Um, there's also a number of other things, obviously, as you can imagine in the draft regulations, um, there's pieces around um, recovery plans and kind of codifying in law that they should be um, set with an eye on what is reasonably affordable for the employer. Um, there's kind of a, a nod to open schemes in the sense of, um, and again, we'll we'll come on to that. They they are considered. We think maybe doesn't quite go far enough, but they are at least mentioned in the consultation document. And then there's another a number of kind of smaller pieces um, and, and lots of extra documentation for schemes to do statement of strategy and a number of things that need to appear in there. Um, but I think that's that's probably the kind of the, the key highlights, if you like.
0: Yeah, great. So, I mean, some significant changes there, and certainly the most material changes to the funding regime since, since it was introduced uh, back in in 2005. So, what do you foresee as the, the kind of impact on DB schemes and and scheme sponsors? What what implications is this likely to have? Yeah,
1: no. so so, I mean, that is of course the the key question, and this is this was the subject. I'll just do a shameless plug for a paper we we recently wrote called "Missing the Target," which covered a lot of this, but. I think at the heart of it this kind of requirement for all schemes to be low risk um by the time they're significantly mature um it, it's going to have a huge impact and it'll be different for different schemes but there's a lot of schemes who aren't planning that that kind of very low risk approach um either because they you know want to run on because they feel their sponsor covenant allows them more flexibility um, and we do think that you know in many cases that requirement for a low risk approach could risk say for example some schemes it's just an inefficient use of capital other schemes requiring them to fund in that way is is kind of extra cost and for some schemes that'll be unaffordable and there is a risk that it could force um some schemes to be you know unaffordable for their employer and potentially risk kind of insolvency and and job losses and and everything else so could potentially have some quite serious negative impacts um accepting of course that it it does to some extent depend on how tpr might interpret all this and we can come on to, to kind of that piece as well but i think yeah that that kind of low risk piece is probably the biggest one there's i mentioned as well of course the um the recovery plan point again um affordability has been in tpr's thinking for a long time in how it thinks about recovery plans that hasn't been kind of in law i suppose putting it into law we do think is going to move the dial we do think it will influence industry behavior we think it will mean you know, sponsors probably required to put in more sooner and that will have, obviously, impacts for sponsors as well. Um, and then I mentioned just briefly open schemes as well. So we don't need to get too technical the way the regulations are drafted or at least our reading of them um, for open schemes. If you like, they're never expected to reach significant maturity. So because they remain open, new members keep coming in. They don't mature in the same way as a closed scheme. Um these, these open schemes, if you like, every three years will be able to say, look, we're still open. We can push out our kind of expected date of when we get significantly mature. So we're not there yet. We can keep investing in growth assets and that's all good. But I think the problem from our perspective as we see it is that they'll still be required to fund as if they will one day be, be you know, significantly mature, as effectively funding as if almost as if they're, they're closing at some point. And that will drive up costs for some. And so we could see kind of further closures of open schemes as well as a potential negative consequence from what's in the regs.
0: Okay so, so it sounds like we're moving certainly over the longer term to a kind of very much a one-size-fits-all approach to, to kind of DB funding and, and investment. Do you think that do you think that's appropriate and and do you think that could have any unintended consequences?
1: Yeah, no. So so I think I mean, the short answer is I don't I don't think it is what's best for a lot of schemes. And I think I think many would agree um, this. Th- we currently have a scheme specific regime. It's flexibility in there for for schemes, obviously, in different circumstances it's appropriate to do different things. And so I don't think one size fits all um, is right. I think DWP would argue that what they've drafted. Um, in fact, I think I've heard them say it isn't one size fits all, but that's not. You know, how the industry is interpreting it that's our kind of reading of it it does very much seem at least from that point of significant maturity it is as you say all schemes um, need to be to be low risk and there's some quite strong wording in there about investment strategies needing to be broadly cash flow matched and highly resilient to short-term movements in markets um, which does very much restrict what what schemes can do and I think I mean I've touched a little bit on some of the kind of potential negative consequences but it it really does depend on the scheme circumstances and there'll be some where you know the covenant is isn't necessarily strong enough to support a low-risk approach I mean ultimately if you're you know paying pensions you have to get the money either from sponsor contributions or from investment returns Um, and if you you know if if the sponsor is not strong enough to give you contributions there are some schemes out there who are perhaps taking slightly more, more risk or targeting a higher return than DBP might like, but that's because they, that's all almost the only thing that they can do. And forcing them to take a different approach could, could tip the balance and potentially
0: make their sponsors go insolvent. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this new kind of funding regime has been trailed for some time, Yeah, um, and, and I know work's been going on behind the scenes probably for many years. In terms of where we are now, in terms of the economic cycle, but also um, even government policy and the emphasis on, on growth, do, do you think there's a chance this could be revisited uh, in light of kind of where we are both politically and, and economically? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's, it's something that, again, it's, it's already come up in
1: the industry. I mean, already many have published their responses and some are very much highlighted that this, this really doesn't seem in line with the government's growth agenda. And of course, as you'll know, the new kind of Minister for Pensions is actually Minister for Pensions and Growth. Um, how does that interact? Um, so it's certainly possible it could get looked at again. I think, as, as you've said, you know, the world has changed quite a lot in the last few few weeks. And it does seem this government's got a, a very much a growth agenda, growth mindset. And to be honest, um, as you say, it almost seems like the funding code is from a, a different time when they were worried about different things. You know, Carillion BHS was obviously the driver for a lot of this um, doesn't necessarily seem like what's prescribed in these draft regulations you know, is consistent with the current government's agenda.
0: And and just finally, are there any other points with the draft regulations that you hope will be addressed before they're, they're kind of finalised?
1: Um, I suppose, I mean, from my perspective, the, the, the two things that we haven't necessarily spoken about so far, but are points of potential frustration. One is, you know, DWP itself didn't really publish a meaningful impact assessment of these draft regulations themselves. And their argument being that until we see site of tpr's actual funding code um which which has a bit more detail you can't really assess the impacts but we don't think that's necessarily the case we think there will be a, a strong impact from the way these regulations are drafted and as i mentioned our paper earlier we did have a go and came up with a potential impact of, of about 30 billion split some between sponsors some between kind of member losses and, and potential impacts on the ppf as well um and i'm The second point of of frustration, as I mentioned, I've already alluded to, is that we, at the moment, we've only seen the regulations, not the code. And they very much are kind of two pieces of the same jigsaw puzzle. And being asked to comment on one and for that one potentially to be finalized before we even get sight of the other piece doesn't really feel quite right. Um, And so I guess it's kind of a a plea for DWP to to keep listening even after their consultations close to anything that comes up from, from the TPR consultation as well
0: um but yeah i think i think probably otherwise covered the kind of main points yeah no, that's that's really good and I, and certainly that last point i would echo and in our response we we've emphasized like you say the need for dwp to keep listening um even after the consultation closes given given that we we won't see the full picture until we've got that that code as well Great. Well, John, say so thank you for joining me. Uh, really helpful to get your thoughts and insights on the draft regulations and what, what they could mean. Let's hope some of these issues get addressed uh, before before they're introduced. Um, and just say thank you to everyone who's listening. This is latest podcast. Please sign up to our blog to re- receive future episodes.
1: Thanks very much for having me.